the EDM Podcast. My name is Connell O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by EDMProd.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to level up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Nico and Sway. Nico and Sway are a DJ and production duo based out of LA. They were recently a 2019 Hawkinson Group resident, which allowed them to open up for some of the biggest artists in the industry and one of dance music's most important venues. In this episode, we start off with Nico and Sway's background, looking at their journey from DJing frat parties in college to gaining a residency with one of Vegas's biggest club groups. We discuss how they built relationships with promoters and club owners, which allowed them to play some of the biggest venues in the US. We also discuss the years they spent crafting a live show that truly resonates with an audience, a process that's been tantamount to the success they've had. On the production side, we spend a while discussing songwriting and arrangement tips for producers that really aren't too knowledgeable about music theory. We also discuss practical tips and strategies for anyone who struggles with that last 10% of a track. Nico and Sway also dive into the third-party plugins that help to level up their production quality, as well as what they've learned with some of the other artists over at Prodigy Artists, which includes people like Slander, Nightmare, Joyride, and a whole lot more. Later on, we discuss their strategy for social media content and how they're making the most out of the current quarantine situation. They talk about the lessons they've learned being mentored by Randy Jackson, as well as their overall strategy when it comes to networking within the music industry. Now, as you'll hear in the interview, Nico and Sway have a ton of new music in the works, but unfortunately, can't play you any of it right now. So just so you can get a feel for their music, I'm going to play you one of my favorite singles from them, a track they released last summer called I Let It Go. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Nico and Sway. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast today. I'm joined by the duo Nico and Sway. How are you guys doing today? How's it going, brother? Good, dude. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I want to learn more about your background with music. Walk me through how you two initially met and when you started producing music together. So we actually basically have grown up together almost our whole lives. We're from the same city. We played on like the same Little League baseball team growing up. And uh, that was like, we just looked yesterday. It was 2005. So yeah, we were nine. We were nine. So Damn. we actually do go way back, but we didn't really start working together until I think it was our sophomore year about of, uh, of college. We were in Dallas, Texas at Southern Methodist University. And um, we kind of linked up. My brother, my, I'm, I'm a twin. I'm swear. I'm the twin. But uh my brother actually introduced us, uh, or not introduced, but like linked us up through uh, business classes that they were in together. Yeah, we were, we were both taking finance classes, and one day Cavs was just like, "Hey, you know, Mark's uh, been doing the DJ thing. I know you uh, you've been DJing a little bit in your room and at your fraternity, and you guys should link up and uh, put your heads together." And we did, and we we started playing fraternity parties uh, around Dallas. And I mean, I think that's been a I know like Lewis the Child, like a bunch of people have started out like that and kind of gave yeah. us some lever- leverage to... Uh, yeah, so we started doing like fraternity parties, then really branched out and we started doing a lot of clubs around Dallas and um, really from there started to move outside of Dallas and like back into LA specifically. 
Uh, mm. That's kind of where we went back first for shows, at least. And uh, we were really growing like pretty well in like the Dallas area because we were in school there, knew a ton of people. And then back yeah. home in like Los Angeles, Orange County areas, we were getting some dope gigs too. And then kind of maybe a year, year two, and a half into it, we started getting some like really dope traction. And we ended up playing Live Miami. Uh, we played there like three or four, maybe four times now, I think. Three times, I forgot, but that's a great yeah. place. And we really have just, we played Chicago. We played a ton of different different places. And honestly, it was really, it, was, it, it all started just from, literally at the fraternity and sorority parties yeah i'm like like, literally i was gonna say that but also just like linking up one night in the dorm room and just chilling and mixing Mixing, and loving the same music and sharing like very similar passions and you know all that good stuff yeah so i kind of want to go back to how you were getting those initial shows first off like were you two branding yourselves as nico and sway when you kind of started djing as a duo and then like with that how did you end up getting those shows outside of fraternities? Because I, you know, I think college yeah. shows—if you just hustle, you can get into. But it's another step to even get like the nice clubs in Dallas and just like For a sure. smaller city. So we've always been Nico and Sway, and it's cool. There's a lot of international kids at SMU, and one of them happened to be putting on this festival in Monterey, Mexico, and so they, you know, they kind of gave us our first true shot at a, at a bigger stage. So we did that, we killed it and we threw that on the resume and we kind of used that as leverage to, you know, get into other clubs around Dallas. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, just like from doing like a bunch of the parties and stuff, like it's like a lot of the club promoters. Um, so how it works basically, at least in Dallas was a lot of the fraternities and sororities would work with the club promoters to book events. And when they would book us as uh, like the performers, they would work with the promoters so we started to get to know a lot of the promoters at the clubs and like a lot of like the GMs and like big people there. So they would give us a shot, whatever, like playing at their at their like big clubs, like uh, it was Avenue at the time or like yeah, shit, I don't even remember some of the venues. It was it was a bit ago, but um, so we started doing those uh, basically just from word of word of mouth and meeting these guys kind of by second hand, you know, and uh, that kind of that really helped like get us started and kind of get us on like the at least like the club scene because. From there, at least, it was good. We had a bunch of club shows on our resume. So when we went back for like the summer, uh, like junior year, whatever, we had like a lot of a lot of stuff on the resume to show that we can do these bigger shows in LA and stuff. And started obviously getting gigs in LA. Then, so when you two you met up and started this in college, when did it become like your career path? Like immediately, was it just like kind of for fun, or right out of the bat, were you like, this is going to be what our career is moving forward? I mean. It was for fun, but I think yeah. we've always kind of aimed for the stars and we always wanted to make this, you know, our full-time yeah. uh, job. So from the from the beginning, we kind of treated it as a business and taken it super seriously. Like we all both deep down knew we always wanted to do something music related. But I think once we like started, like once we started to like really click after like, it was pretty quick, like after maybe even just like a couple weeks of like linking up and working together, I think that's like that's really when, when we decided we wanted to, it, it to be more than just a passion, you know? Yeah. So you started with a strong emphasis on live shows. At what point did you start integrating production into your brand and artist project? We really were always producing on the side, but we didn't start to release music maybe till what, like a, ye- a year? In. Yeah, a year or something. Yeah. And then we put out, was it Paradise the first one, I think? Yeah, so it's funny. We started with kind of this uh, underground, night bass, G-house sort of vibe, and that's what we were playing at the clubs and 
yeah, that was kind of our initial sound and we, we really loved it. But uh, when we started playing some of the bigger shows, we, we kind of wanted more of a traditional club sound, not just that niche underground. I don't want to say it didn't work at like the bigger clubs. It just is so much more. It's so much. It's a, it's an, a great ideal sound for like the smaller, like, like the sound nightclub venues. And that's a very, yeah. a very nice, like, um, you know, more intimate club. And that's like what we started, you know, we started playing. We didn't, we didn't go straight into like the huge venues, you know? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, we really had like our kind of UK night based influence, like Nick said at first and really started to branch out as we grew. And as we, you know, started to get bigger gigs and stuff, we got our, our really, our music style changed. Yeah. So we, our music styles started changing. It's funny. We, we were playing a, some sort of, I think it was like a fashion event in, uh, was in New York. No, no, uh, no. The, oh, in LA, in Nightingale, yeah, yeah, yeah Nightingale. It was for uh, the brand Wild Fox, yeah. and this is a this is a big break we got. Randy Jackson happened to be there, and you know he comes up to us. He's like, "Yo, dog, this is <laughs> sick." Yeah, he loved it. He loved it, and he kind of became our first mentor slash. Yeah, he was. He wasn't really because my our, like Kevin. Uh, he's always been our manager. Um, but Randy, Randy was more of like, he was a great mentor for us, uh, really getting started and introduced us to like a lot of people who, some honestly, we still work to uh, for this day, but a lot of people who really helped us kind of get to the point where we are. But um, yeah. but yeah, like Nick said, we met Randy at the event and that really helped us kind of get things off the ground. And Rand, one thing Randy really helped us with was at least our mindset and our focus and kind of showing us that there's like a much bigger picture than even things that we had imagined at first. And where I was getting with that is that, he's kind of the one that pushed us to start making these big vocal records a little more of a, how would you describe kind it? Kind of like a, some def, I get, I mean, some definitely a pop vibe. Yeah, I, pop. It's a little too like yeah. cliche to call it commercial, but a lot of songs like, and a lot of unreleased songs that we have right now are, are tracks that we think, you know, you'll hear on like the radio. Some like, you know, whether it's like the BPM on the Sirius XMs or some, honestly, we think could even get to like terrestrial radio, like hopefully like local LA radios and stuff. So, our sound just kind of changed with him and for a little bit we were we went down that future bass route which we were really enjoying at the time but after a while we we kind of wanted to come full circle and start doing house again and so our all of our projects uh, as of recently are going back to our house roots so that's been really cool for us i think it's interesting how meeting Randy Jackson and wanting him to help you with your career, the most beneficial part you got out of that was mindset. It wasn't necessarily connections or people that he um, kind of like showed you to, but it was a mindset for the way that you should approach your artist project and your career. Yeah. Like, like Mark said, he kind of painted a bigger picture for us Yeah, and kind of showed us what we could be. And that being said, like we had like the highest goals possible. We, we, didn't want to just be like another club DJ, do a little tour. We wanted to be the next Zed, mm -hmm. Steve Aoki, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But yeah, Randy really, like you said, I, I mean, he really helped us with that mindset. And obviously he's, he's just, he started with, I mean, all these like from small bands all the way up to journey, you know? And, uh, and then obviously into like, into the executive side, like executive production and, now he's on like all these different shows and obviously he was on American Idol and stuff. But um, yeah. one thing that that like was really cool for that, obviously, is we had all this insight because he did he did uh, connect us to a bunch of people. But he also just mm -hmm. gave us so much insight from like the executive and the business person side and really kind of helped us almost think like from the, the label perspective mm -hmm. or kind of helped us think from different perspectives that we never really thought about 
never really cared to like, I don't know, just, we didn't really, he opened us up to just all these different perspectives. Every facet of the business. For sure. So kind of speeding up with the gigs that you were getting in 2019, you guys were a Hawkinson group resident, which is an awesome accomplishment. Kind of talk about how that opportunity came to be. So we, was it Cascade or Nervo? No, it was Nervo. Yeah. So we, we got booked to play, uh, to open for Nervo for the first time. That was our first time playing in Vegas. And, uh, we, so we were given a, we were kind of throwing a bone. We honestly, it was one of our like most memorable shows still. So we really kind of crushed it. We got invited back to open for Cascade and did really well again. And then we started just, you know, we kept a really good relationship with the guys at, uh, in the Hawkeson group. They're honestly like to this day, they, they're literally like family. Yeah. We, we made it a point to, yeah. to, you know, like stay in touch with them, you know, not just ask for shows, but right. you yeah. know, actually have like a, a friendship and yeah. i think that really helped because they kept inviting us back and back yeah and so after those first two shows we uh we took it was a little bit of time we didn't get we didn't go back for a little bit but we were still in contact with those guys and then uh, obviously uh in the in like it was january of 2019 when we signed the residency we had been in talks with them for maybe a month or two before but it was honestly, it, it came up quick, the offer and the, and obviously we were, we were so stoked when we received the offer. We said yes right away. No, we didn't refute anything obviously, but we honestly, and, and since then it's been a really great experience and we've had a lot of fun. We've gotten to open for some of, some of the DJs that we were really are the reason we got into yeah. this and are producing the music that we produce. So it's been a great experience. And uh, once, once all the stuff going on ends, we can't, we can't wait to pick it back up because <laughs> yeah. we miss it. So it seems like so much of the success that you guys had early on was just like building off of successful shows, being in the right place and just connecting with people, being an honest human. I'm kind of curious, like from like a performance show aspect, because obviously a big piece of that puzzle was doing well with your shows. How did you kind of craft the successful live presentations that you guys do? I think we honestly played, played for the audience that we expected to have. And like in Vegas, obviously you're getting... A lot of people that you know might not know electronic music, so we we put in a lot of effort making a lot of remixes, edits, mashups, um, just to kind of cater to all types of people. Yeah, and kind of keeping our style and like keeping mm-hmm. like our sound, but also adding, you know, like we have like fuck, we have like we have like Nirvana mashups, or we have mashups with like Cardi B, or we have mashups with Pitbull. So you know. And it's all the drops sound like us, but it's all the, the vocals are from classic tracks, you know, that people know. So that's like one way we've been able to adapt and uh, that definitely makes a lasting impact. A lot of people, I feel like, especially until you're like at the level of like, I mean, Aoki, Zed, all those guys, like, and don't get me wrong, you have to stay true to yourself always. That's the most important thing is staying true to your sound. But that doesn't mean you can't cater a little bit to the audience you're playing for, you know, that if anything, that, that all that's going to do is make them enjoy the, enjoy the night and probably remember it more than if you're just playing, you know, stuff just for you. Cause you, everyone's got to remember you're a DJ, you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting booked to entertain, to entertain. Yeah. And for everyone to have fun, if you, if you're the only one having fun, you're probably not the best DJ or, you know, yeah. entertainer in the world. So you definitely have to keep the crowd in mind too. And uh, in the long run, that just helps getting uh, booked again and, you know, getting new fans and all that. So. Yeah. I don't know why I feel like a lot of producers especially are so afraid of just moving a little bit towards the audience, right. whether it's with their production or with their DJing. Like earlier, you were kind of talking about how you almost felt self-conscious 
calling your music a bit pop and commercial, but I don't think there's any harm in saying your music's palatable and it's not this like esoteric, weird, you know, ambient music that really isn't <laughs> going to resonate with people. Yeah. Like I think like, you know, if you want to stick 110% to your artistry, that's fine. But I think you guys, it sounds like don't just want to create music. You want to have an impact. You want to connect with people. For and sure. for you with your live shows, that means maybe you can't play a hundred percent of what you want, but sliding a little bit over so that you're putting in a better performance for the you know audience who you're there to serve and then can build off of that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And believe me, we love the ambient esoteric underground <laughs> stuff, but uh, yeah, we kind of came to the realization that it's going to cap us at a certain, you know, and also if you, if you look at like some of the biggest artists in the world, like let's look at Marshmallow, for example, Marshmallow collabs with, with like African artists or Indian artists and has songs that, you know, you and I probably have never even heard, but they're on his catalog and they're yeah. tens of millions of plays, if not a hundred million or even close to a billion, because he works with the biggest artists in India, which is one of the biggest music markets, you know? And if you want to be the biggest and the best, like you have to, and this goes back to what we were just talking about. It's all about adapting. And yeah, like those, those songs, you can definitely hear the marshmallow in them, but there's still, I mean, if 90, if not 95% influenced by the, the country's, you know, tradition and original sound, which honestly, to me, I think that's really cool. I think that's how, yeah. from an artist standpoint, that's how you really like connect with the world. And like people, if, if you want to be something bigger than just yourself or your project, you know, like if you want to really become like an international like you're having international success, you know, you gotta, you gotta really play stuff that people understand. Yeah. And make stuff that, yeah. that caters to maybe people that aren't originally listening to your project. Yeah. The way that I always like to phrase that is meeting people halfway. Exactly. And then also kind of with that, like understanding what your goal is. Like I was saying earlier, like your goal could be to write music exclusively for yourself or your goal could be to gain the biggest following. For most people, those are kind of two separate ideas. There's, you know, some crossover, but, you know, odds are for most artists, exactly what you want to be doing isn't exactly what's going to make you some international star. For sure. And I, that, uh, yeah, and kind of to go along with your point, that just goes back to like branding and stuff and why branding and social media are so important now. And like, if you look at our Instagram, we've, especially like during these past two months, maybe, and while we've been in quarantine, we've been doing, uh, we've gotten really into TikTok lately and we've been doing, uh, <laughs> we've been doing a lot of like almost like skits, like funny videos, if you will. And we've been posting them on like our Instagram and kind of just showing our true self really, you know, and it's, it's been interesting yeah, for we us. Yeah, put ourselves on the line. For yeah, sure. <laughs> for sure. Like we've, we've been vulnerable, <laughs> but, yeah. if, but um, I mean, honestly, but before like these two months when we really had all this time off and not even off, but just time, more free time rather, um, we just didn't really even focus on it or think about it because we were so busy with, we, we were in the studio for literally from all from November to February, we we're in the studio in LA literally every single day, like working on, we have like, we can talk about that later. We have like 25 unreleased songs uh, right now, but um, all, we were very caught up. And honestly, like this, it, this, it, it came at a bad time for everybody, but you know, it gave us the opportunity to focus on things like content that we were always good at, but instead of maybe putting 110% effort into it, we were only putting like 80%, you know? So now, now we're yeah. going all out on our socials. Everything's really starting to come full circle. I think, I think it's helped our brand a little bit too. Um, we've started doing live streams. We set up Twitch. It's been fun. Again, it's all just all about adapting. Yeah. I, I kind of want to dive deeper into all the different things that you're doing right now with social media, because I think, you know, pretty much every artist that I've talked to right now is struggling with what to do because shows aren't what they were and they're not going to be back to, you know, the same level for 
who knows how long. So kind of walk me through what some of the different aspects of your social media content are at this point, because I think that's been integral to your growth and moving forward, it's going to be super important because you don't have as many shows to rely on at least through the summer. Yeah. So honestly, this time's given, and this is for us, but I mean, for every artist, big or small, it's given everybody more time to connect with their fan base because people aren't on the road anymore. People are at home. Uh, that's why yeah. you see like everybody's doing live streams right now. Every single, like, you know how it is. If you go on Instagram right now, there's 10 people live at any given time or if, on Twitch right now, there's all of your favorite DJs are going to be live like sometime in the next five to 10 days, you know? So yeah. It's cool. So live streaming is definitely a big thing that's new for a lot of people. Um, we were talking about Nick and I were talking about this earlier, but like people like Jana, um, who've been already have like a really big following, who's been doing the live stream thing for a long time, they're definitely like crushing it even more right now, you know. But everybody now is just trying to get to the to their level, and everyone's just you know finding new ways to reach fans. And I think it. I think it also depends on your brand too, because yeah, our sure. brand is it's Nico and Sway. It's us. So yeah. it's in a sense, it's maybe a little easier for us to put out content because it's just us dicking around. Yeah, and we're trying to be personable and like yeah, you know, show yeah. our true selves. But uh, I I think that's your question is tough because you know some people some people's brands might be you know something kind of obsolete and they're yeah. struggling with uh. Or some people too, just are, some people just aren't really into the whole Instagram social media thing. They like to let their music speak for themselves and that's totally okay too, you know, it's, that's why social media is every, it's, it's a tool that's there for you to use for your benefit and how everyone uses it is different. Yeah. I want to go back to the idea that you said, it's just you two messing around and that's what you're doing anyway. It's a very honest representation of what you want to do. Like, I think I get a lot of messages from newer producers that, you know, see their favorite artist Instagram being like, they're doing all this cool stuff and they have these cool photos and cars and outfits and stuff. How do I get something like that? And it just takes intention first off, like, you know, you two getting in these cool outfits, going out and taking photos, like it takes you getting off your ass and actually doing that. Oh yeah. It seems like two that's also shit that you're doing anyway and that you want to be doing for sure. And I, I mean, honestly, I always tell people too, like if you're not like putting effort into like your social media, like at least like whether, even if you don't like it, like just have someone else help you with it. You know, it's whether it's a friend or someone, you know, but it's so important right now. And I, I guess I think one way that you can really kind of resonate like with your following or like, or new people is honestly just being yourself and kind of like we said earlier, just being vulnerable. Like people want to see you like, People want to see you vulnerable. People want to see you out of your out of your shell and like want to see your true self. It all depends on the person too, but people mm-hmm. just want to see your true self and just they just want to see, especially in a time right now, people just want to see what you've been doing. Yeah. Like having content doesn't mean you need to put on Adidas tracksuit and go in front of a Lamborghini <laughs> and take a photo. It's just 100%, like, no. what sure. are you doing that's interesting? And then, you know, do something that's interesting and document. Yeah. If all you do is sit in the studio all day, uh, well then why would people want to follow you yeah. if you're not doing anything that interesting but if you have something like before this episode we were talking about hiking like go take some photos of you hiking sure. process them with the same filter and have that be your brand like there's so many options with that yeah and uh like fuck like two days ago we were just we were just sitting on our asses we grabbed like a little can of nuts and went up to the treadmill and <laughs> if you saw our, like our last post we did yeah, a little yeah. <laughs> you know so like there's options like you said like there's so many things people can be doing right now even like if you aren't leaving your house at all you know if you're fully locked down there's still so many different options and i think one thing tiktok's obviously on the rise right now 
I think yeah. the people, again, the people who have bigger TikTok follow, uh, followings definitely have a little bit more of an advantage right now. But that doesn't yeah. mean that if for the people who haven't even started a TikTok or downloaded it, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't hop on and get get started rather. I think a huge word that's resonated throughout this episode so far is adapting. I think you guys right now are adapting to the fact that you don't have your live shows anymore, which was a huge chunk of your brand. And you're figuring out how to deal with that. You know, a couple of years ago when you were in college and, you know, getting those first shows, you were adapting to figure out, okay, we need to change our sound a little bit, both in what we're producing and in what we're DJing to make ourselves mm-hmm. more successful. I think that's a crucial piece of advice for anyone listening. Totally. If you want sustainability. It's cool how you pick that up though, because that's something that we're going to be conscious of now going forward. Like, uh, I didn't really realize how much we've adapted, but no, it, it, totally. Yeah. I think honestly, like me too, I think I've like, just by talking about it and like it, this, honestly, this has been really cool for us. And like, yeah. obviously we've, we've had a, a couple slip ups or a little, probably, probably <laughs> more podcast. me, probably more me. So than Nick, but, <laughs> but, uh, you're good. but yeah, I think, I think just by, by talking with you and like really getting everything out right now, it's, it's been fun. I think we've learned a little bit about ourselves already. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how often that happens. Like it happens probably every other podcast that I do. It's like sometimes just getting out of your own head about music, which is why it's so important for anyone listening to this to have music friends, just to like talk through what you're doing to get a better understanding. Oh, 100%. I make more, I think I make more friends through music than I do through just like random social interactions. Cause it's such an easy, if you like music, it's such an easy thing to talk about. And especially if you like production, it's such an easy thing to geek out on. It's like yeah. right away you have, you know, a core part of your identity that you identify with that person with. I sometimes I can be, I can tend to like overthink things, you know? And so to like yeah. actually get stuff out, like it's, it's beneficial. So I, I got to say, thank you. I got to say shout out to, to Connor and to EDM prod. <laughs> Appreciate it. Well, I think with that, we can kind of slide things over into production. I think there's a lot that I want to talk about, especially with all the new music that you're writing. You said something like 25 plus demos, which yeah. we'll definitely get into. But I think a good first question that we can talk about is what does your writing process look like from the start when you two are creating a new track from scratch? I mean, I'd say we don't have like, we don't have yeah, we like necessarily don't. a set. We're, we're talking about this. Yes. Or two days ago, we were doing yeah. another interview and we, some, someone asked us the same thing, but we, we really don't have like a set process. And like, honestly, I think that's a good thing because it doesn't really lock us into like one mindset, you know? And, and yeah. we, uh, we kind of, we like to produce, like, we like to like write the whole track out first, you know, like we like to like catch the vibe rather, if you, if you feel me, yeah. like we like to really like make sure. Some people like to say they like like producing like horizontally instead of vertically, if that makes sense, you know, like yeah. really. So, yeah. So th- I, that's definitely one thing I guess that we like to like really do. I mean, one thing when we're, when we're producing like more fun tracks, like I guess like our like clubby, like our banger tracks, like we like to like get a good drop going first. That definitely helps like the rest of like the body of, of the, uh, whether it's the breakdown or the builds mm-hmm. or anything. So, but dude, honestly, every single track is different. Like it's so hard a, to pin. A lot of the, like I'd say, <laughs> 65% of these new songs we have uh, have vocals on them. So uh, with those tracks, we definitely start with the vocal first. You know, we don't have the track and someone uh, someone writes on top of it. So mm-hmm. with those tracks, basically, you know, figuring out the bass, the bass line of the, the way the vocal's going. And then from there, writing chords and, you know, then adding some drums but uh, it's it's every track's different. It's that's such yeah. a hard question. So kind of with that, I think one thing that stands out, and at least the music that I've heard from you so far that you've released, is 
there's just like a great focus on kind of pop sensibilities in terms of the chord progressions and melodies. Any advice for like a newer producer that is struggling to get their chord progressions and melodies kind of as tight as some of their favorite artists? Honestly, this is something we still are improving. Um, I think as of when the last like six months, we've been able to actually like figure out chord progressions. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think there's no shame in going online and using uh midi packs yeah (laughs) Yeah. that that definitely helps uh we i mean honestly like one thing too is like there's definitely like little tricks for writing chords especially if you figure out the root notes um a lot a lot of times obviously if you just figure out the root note you can basically build the chord around it so just like nick said if if you get the bass going first and you know you figure out obviously what are the root notes really you can build the chord around it mess around with with that first but also another thing too that's good is just obviously like tutorials online whatever it is but dude youtube is such a is such a fucking powerful resource for any producer and if you want to you know like you can you can even get like really like you can get like really descriptive on on youtube searches and there's a good chance that you're going to find a video for that so guitars help me with just basic uh music theory so when we're when we're drawing out chords like we can tell if something's in key or not and a lot of the times it's just takes trial and error to get those chords perfect and yeah all in the same key. yeah like we we both know like we both know mu- like no like pretty much like basic music theory like i mean a little bit more than basic but like it's not like i don't want to say it's not rocket science you know to figure out if a chord's right or, or wrong and there's definitely little tricks and little things that are just like embedded in our head that we've been doing to build chords so yeah, but yeah. honestly the biggest thing is get the root notes first because from there yeah. from there yeah. it's really easy yeah i think just to like explain that a bit further for anyone that doesn't understand because when you're trying to build out chord progression sometimes if you're thinking instead of having to do with like three notes at a time in each of the chords all you have to do is the one note and more often than not you can get yeah. a feel for the chord movement with just the bass in place and then from there just figure out the notes in the scale exactly. whether it's a major or minor chord or diminished yeah. yeah way more easy like you're still getting the feeling of that movement like you would get in a traditional chord progression but it simplifies it to just one note instead of having to figure out three especially for people that aren't as comfortable with theory yeah um, another little hack that we've been using uh, in the last couple of months is so the same people that made Serum uh, X for Records, um, they have this plugin called Cthulhu. Yeah. And uh, it's really nice. It, uh, it kind of maps out chord progressions for you. It's a, kind of a sequencer, sequencer ordeal. Um, but it's been nice just for experimenting and, you know, It'll give you some chord progressions and then you rework them however you want. Yeah. Also Ableton too, like even for, for the Cthulhu is the best, but like for finding just like for finding like the root notes, basically one thing that's really helpful is um, the scale feature on Ableton. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You literally just drag the scale in and you can put it, set it to whatever key you're in. And it literally will not let you play any note that's out of the key. If you have like a MIDI plugged in or whatever, like obviously you can still draw notes out of the key, but, but if you have the scale setting, like you can set it to fucking like, let's say C just to be easy. And it'll just play all the white keys, you know, or if you yeah. put it like D sharp, it'll give you, you know, all Everything the keys in D sharp. Major. And, yeah. And you can set it to like major minor whatever. And it's really really helpful and easy like it's 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 really good just for getting started basically with the chords like you don't really want to lock yourself into that but it helps you yeah. learn it helps you learn scales too and you know just kind of build memory with that oh and, and then one more chord hack um i found some like nice chord progressions on splice before the chord progr- it's obviously an audio and that kind of limits you and you're going to want the midi so if you're working in ableton sometimes i'll take like a, a splice 
chord progression loop and then they have the option in ableton to convert yeah. it to you can convert the melody or the harmony and uh, oftentimes and not and yeah you'll get the chord progression from that in midi yeah and it's usually not like perfect but it's usually like good enough where you can like change shit around or like you, you can easily tell like what it's missing or what it, you know where one yeah. needs to be but that's another really good tip yeah it's not perfect but it at least gives you something to start with exactly I feel like so many people st- get stuck with that just blank canvas where they're like, I don't know where to go with it. But even if you get like you know, the convert harmony to MIDI, it's not great. Sometimes it's terrible, but it, yeah. <laughs> you know, if sometimes you clean it up, it gives you something entirely different. That's nothing like what you, you know, initially took the MIDI from and you're like, Hey, I can, yeah, I can exactly. use this. Sometimes that's good. That's like just, that's another, like, actually like that's a, a thing sometimes we'll do with writer's block is just, if you find like a good like pad or like chord progression or whatever, just as a sample on splice or online or wherever it is, if you drag yeah. it in and just can, like you just said, if you get get started with with a chord or whatever whatever the progression is or what it's supposed to be, rather, because sometimes, like you said, you get lucky. Uh, yeah, it really can help you get an idea going. And sometimes that's the biggest thing is just literally getting started on a track, you know, and just letting yeah. the ideas come out of your head and in, uh, into the DAW. So I kind of want to talk about the way that you two split up the roles with production. Would you say that you both kind of just go back and forth when you're working on a track? Do you work separately? Talk about what that workflow looks like, just having two producers working on this project. Again, it's honestly different yeah. every time, but sometimes he'll start a track, sometimes I will. Uh, we we both, we're always, um, I mean, because like we both like kind of like to work a lot at night sometimes, like in like our bed, obviously, you know, which yeah, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not in the same bed together, <laughs> but, 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 you know, like we're like both working in our rooms like at night and we'll start a crazy idea or something dope, you know, and then sometimes yeah. we'll just like switch and like he'll hop on a project, I'll hop on his, you know, and other mm-hmm. times we'll both hop in on, at the same time at the studio and like just build off each other. We're all, we're constantly building off each other. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like we'll just, we'll have an idea um send it over to a couple homies see what they think get some feedback and you know that's like the big that's going back to what you said or whoever said that having music friends is you know that's like the biggest thing is they can really spark creativity uh that sometimes is hard to bring out of yourself by yourself yeah so you mentioned a couple things that i think would be really helpful for when producers hit a wall with a song obviously being able to pass it off to each other is super helpful and sending it off to friends anything else that happens when you two let's just say you're like 70 percent done with a track and you're just like, I got nothing. I don't know where to take this. The last 30% is by far yeah. the, the hardest part. Uh, something we learned recently is exporting oh, yeah, a yeah. song that's like 70% done and then putting it into a completely new project, just the whole balance into a completely new project and yeah. trying to add on top of that. Because I think a lot of times like projects like just become overwhelming with the amount of tracks you have. Yeah. And... For us, it's been nice to like, especially with like effects, transitions. Yeah, that's the thing for sure. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of time, real quick, a lot of time that's like the last 20, 30% is just like the effects. Atmosphere. Yeah, and a lot of times like... Fills. Like, yeah, like Nick said too, like a lot of times the track just gets messy or unorganized. And so when you bounce it out, you're on obviously a brand new window. Sometimes you can get a brand new mindset and yeah. you just pop in and add you know add complimentary things or sometimes you can cut and paste like move yeah well, yeah move little parts around arrangement arra- arra- helps yeah arrangement. helps a lot with arrangement too um just laying out like different effects fills sometimes we'll even take the whole export and chop it up in certain places mm-hmm. and like literally even move drop one to drop two sections <laughs> yeah half the t- honestly like half the time you're like oh fuck drop two is so sick it should be drop one or vice versa you know 
Yeah. I think a huge benefit of that is just, it's almost like changing your mindset. It's still the same exact project, but just kind of like clearing the slate a little bit is super helpful. Like I hear a lot of producers that when they are doing their mix downs, they'll export all the stems exactly how they are and just put it in a new project. And functionally, it's the exact same project that they're mixing, but just by kind of having a blank slate and obviously a little bit less CPU, it changes the way that they're thinking about the project. And even with like a bounce of that, you're thinking, oh, I could switch these sections, something that after 20 hours of producing on the track, you hadn't thought of yet. We just did that with uh, this track, one of our unreleased tracks called Switchblade. Uh, we just did that, we switch, uh, popped everything, bounced everything out to stems and uh, mixed, mixed by the stems. And we hadn't really ever done that before. We, we had we had a little bit in the past, but it, like you said, it just, it gives you, it gives you mindset and you kind of see things that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. It's, it's scary yeah. though. Like, yeah, it is Bouncing scary. things to audio is like, <laughs> such a commitment but yeah. i think it's good for workflow too because because it kind of locks you in obviously there's a million different possibilities you can do in an ableton project yeah and so commitment is like it's hard but it's a really big part of moving forward with songs 100 percent, especially like let's talk like talking about commitment for a second like if we make a track and we're like both like working on it for a while or something and like just we're not feeling it at all like you got to commit to, you know, like maybe scrapping it or changing, scrapping a whole drop or scrapping a whole breakdown, scrapping a chord progression and starting over, you know, like it's, it's a yeah. part of it. It's it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's a lot harder than, than other times, but it's the biggest thing is just like, you know, like you, you'll say, okay, I'm committing to finishing this track right now when you have a 90% track done because everybody knows that's the hardest part. And like everybody just stacks us included. We just stack up ideas and like, 90% finished tracks, you know, but you really have to commit to finishing that last 10% and making a demo a final project, you know? Yeah, I think there's this beautiful idea that all your best tracks will come out in like a five hour session and it's done and that's it. But for most artists, that's just not how it works. Yeah. With so many tracks, they go through iterations and revisions oh, yeah. and the initial idea is completely different than the final idea. Like I think the past few guests that we've had in this podcast, Pluko and Mickey Vaughn, both of them talked about that where they were like, my initial idea looks nothing like the finished idea or with like Mickey Vaughn for the people that didn't listen to that episode, his biggest track, meet me. It was initially more of like a chill track. And then the label was like, okay, we'll put this on our like chiller side label. And he's like, hell no, I'm going to rework this to make it a banger so that we can get it on trap nation. And he did. And it launched his career. So I think it's like important to think through and being comfortable with the idea that I am going to have to like put more time into this than I necessarily want to so that I can push through and get this to where it wants to be. Totally. And like, we've been pitching to like a lot of our tracks to labels right now and stuff. And obviously like a lot are, you know, getting accepted and scheduled, but a lot are, a lot are not. And you know, we're, it's a good thing. Getting turned away sometimes is a good thing. It, it, you know, you re- it humbles you. You realize there's things to change or like you yeah. said, with that example where uh, the homie wanted it um, from chill to a banger, like we've done that too. We've taken tracks that like we thought were done. We're like, yeah, like it's good, but can we make it better? And more yeah. often than not, like you actually can make it better, you know? So it's always, that's one thing we like when a big tip for producers too, is if you have an idea, obviously you're never going to know if it works if you don't try. So mm-hmm. even if you yeah. think your track's done, if you think if you if you think your track's 100% done and you think there's potentially something that you could try to make it sicker, just fucking try it. Like worst case it doesn't work and you don't save the project or and you still have what you loved or you know or there's other, yeah. there's softwares that back up every time you save so it's easy to recover like you know there, there, there's there's ways around it. Yeah, that's really hitting close to home right now because I'm dealing with a track that's exactly that, that is just a bastard of a mix down. <laughs> and like, I, I think something's there 
And I don't know, it could just be so much wasted time, but I'm like, at least I got to find out yeah. and I got to see how far can I take this idea. And I think even having that is kind of nice too. Oh, for sure. Oh, mixed downs well, are scary, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also too, like sometimes that's how you get a VIP version is you have a, you have a version, that's true. You, you have a version you love, like maybe it's uh, like, we'll talk about uh, that Don Diablo song, Congratulations. The VIP version is so fucking fire. It's like very clubby, but they're also playing it on the radio too. But you don't yeah. really, you, you wouldn't necessarily hear the original version in the club or on the radio because it's just way different. But the VIP version brings it together really to, yeah. to like brings it full circle. And I guarantee you, it was like one night, like Don was probably just messing around trying to make a sick edit for his show or something and realized like, fuck, like this is a really dope idea. I think people like this. So, it, it, so that just goes to the point of, really messing around and sometimes you get dope ideas. Yeah. It's kind of like giving yourself the confidence that you can just get creative with it. Like I'm trying to think of, I think it was, um, Dr. Fresh, who's a producer from the UK. Oh yeah. And I, I was him. at, yeah, I was, um, like at some live session with him and he was like going over his production process and he, every like 20 to 30 minutes will save a new version of the project file where the final one is like whatever track title version 94. And he kind of does these iterative ones so that, you know, let's just say he's got a new idea for a melody. He saves a new thing and he changes it. He's going to mix it, changes it, you know, saves a new name and he changes it. And that just gives him the confidence that like, Hey, I can take a chance with this because I think one of the biggest qualities that a producer can develop is the ability to say yes and no, and just be like, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to run with it. Like you talked about committing to audio earlier. That's huge. So giving yourself the confidence that like, I'm going to run with this from start to finish. And maybe I'll save a backup because I don't know if this can work, but the more you get through those ideas, I think the more you get better music from it. And you can't, and you can't be scared to scrap a song. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the funny thing about saving so from just from college, so like my, my major, I was like economic sociology and basically it was just a shit ton of writing and essays. And I remember, I think it was my sophomore year. I was like really deep on this essay and hadn't saved it for a while. My computer crashed and I lost the whole thing. So since then I've developed this really bad habit, but it's really good for, for producing of just saving like every, whatever, whatever it is, like 20, 30 minutes or, or like you said, or, uh, or doing, uh, just for me, it's like, just like making a little bit of progress and you save it, but I, I yeah. don't know. It's, it's, it's a bad habit, but it's not the worst step. My computer hates it because it takes up fucking a shit ton of space, but <laughs> yeah, but Hey, I don't lose, I don't lose shit though. I would rather that than yeah. the other side of it. Cool. So a couple days ago, you guys uh, did some previews of a lot of the new music that you're going to be releasing. And for me, I just hear a big level up in terms of your production quality. I'm guessing you kind of agree. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's why we've taken we haven't released anything since August. Yeah. August of last year so we've just really, you know, kind of taken time to hone our sound. We've gone back to like our, our roots, like our house roots, what we were talking about. And we've really told ourselves we're not going to release until we have X amount of tracks ready to go and making sure they're all at the highest quality they possibly can be. That was one thing before we were kind of just releasing to release, you know, and just to put a track out and a track that we loved and the tracks are still great. We love all those songs that we put out before, but now we're, we're way more, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? We're, we're way more strategic with our release planning and making and sure branding that, our yeah. Sound. yeah, and the brand and making sure that the, not, not only is the sound consistent, but the brand and the release schedule are, cause that's really important. You don't want to just put a song out and then just have nothing for X amount of months, you know? Yeah. So kind of from like a production standpoint, and this could also be like a mindset thing, what do you feel like were some of the things that helped you to level up your sound so that your tracks are a little bit better than they were previously? I think that's something that pretty much everyone listening to this podcast is looking for, like what can they do to get their sound to the next level? So was there anything on that end that you can think back on? 
sample selection is obviously super important and just kind of building a consistent sample library, which we've pretty much done with all these songs. Um, One thing, honestly, too, real quick, that was just huge for us was just, like I said, just stopping the releases and just like pulling the plug on some shit that we had lined up for the future and just saying like, all right, like, let's just like really revisit. We want to make it better. Make it, let's make it better. Let's, let's, uh, cause the, like a lot of the stuff that we've put out, we, some of it, we weren't really playing ever playing live. And so we wanted to make sure that a lot of the stuff we're going to release in the future is stuff that we're still playing live and that, you know, stuff that we love as well. But, but yeah, I think one of the biggest things really is, is realizing that it's okay to take some time off releasing to make sure that everything's perfect like there's no pressure especially right now when dude so many people are pushing stuff back and there's nothing going on right now so it's on now's a good time honestly like if you have like a release lined up that you're not like 100 percent confident on now's like a great time to consider pushing it back a little bit and making sure it's the best it can possibly be yeah, it's funny. I feel like a lot of I know I know a lot of people that kind of fall into that trap with music and just putting out content for the sake of content. But right. if the tracks that you're putting out are just like one to two percent improvements on what you're doing and what you're doing hasn't helped you grow a following, you need to take a step back and think about what the hell you're doing. And I think that's a really smart approach. Like, okay, like we can take a little bit of a time away from this, but we're going to be investing in the future. And now you've got these releases stacked for 2020. They're going to be way better than what you could have done if you were just forcing out and sticking with that one release a month. You know, I think there's merit to both sides, but um, I think it's really important for people to think about the other side where you're like, Hey, take a step back and really hone it before you spend all that time marketing, promoting and branding it. If it's not really that good, it's a little bit of waste of time. Yeah. And honestly, just as we've like grown as artists and like matured and like just the longer we've done it, we've we've kind of just really found our sound and found like the sound we've been playing live, especially, and just realized that a lot of the releases we were putting out really didn't match that sound. And that was the sound that we really loved and was us was Nico and Sway. And so now all the music we're making is cohesive so it's so cohesive but it's so nico and sway like from what from what you hear us live from what you hear live from what you've heard us live though for the past four years like all this shit is that's why we're so excited because it's just everything's about to come full circle and everything's just about to make sense and i think like i think that's like something that's going to be cool for not only us but for like our followers and fans too is just seeing like everything like really come into place because we've been working so hard these especially like these past six six months or whatever, like literally been in the studio before the quarantine. We were literally in LA every single day working on these on new music, working uh, with some of like the best writers. So we've gotten some amazing top lines in. We uh, signed with Prodigy, who that, if people don't know, that's like the Nightmare yeah. and Slander team. So that's been a huge help to us. And just with resources, we've it's been one thing that's been really cool for us is we've actually been working in the Good Vibration Studio. So like Nightmare and Slander Studio. Yeah, and like we both grew up huge Nightmare fans and Slander fans, so that's kind of cool for us. So, kind of on what you've been picking up over the past six months, it might be hard to think of some examples, but anything that you can think of in terms of like techniques or certain plugins or processes that you're using a lot that you feel like are pretty important to what your sound is at this point. Well, some some we talked about earlier, like um, Cthulhu is a new one for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like. Uh, <laughs> One, one, we learned the pro, we learned the technique of uh, like bouncing shit out when it's like seventy percent done, and then working on a new file. We learned that from one of our boys uh, that we met through Prodigy. Um, with a lot of these new productions, we've just tried to stay as consistent as possible with the plugins we're using, and uh, and the samples too. Yeah, actually. and the samples. Right now, we've been using a lot of uh, React uh, Reactor, which is Native Instruments. Using uh, what are we using? We're using Razor monarch 
Um, we've been trying to stay a little bit away from Serum, but I mean, we're still Nexus. Uh, yeah, Nexus has been super, super awesome for us. Spire sometimes for Spire. bass is fun. And then obviously eating up all the uh, sound toy stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah like, we like Little Alter Boy. <laughs> and Decapitation. Yeah. <laughs> and I, one of my favorites, uh, especially right now, like when you when you need a good smile, is Endless Smile. You know, just even if you're yeah. not even using it on anything, just dragging it, just putting the intensity all the way up to make someone smile. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like a funny idea, like getting... I don't know, just being more carefree in the studio. Like I've got a lot of friends that just are so serious in the studio and they just get in their own heads because they're not having fun with it. So yeah. even though that is like kind of ridiculous, like let's go download a data life plugin and just throw that on the master. <laughs> if it like gets you open and laughing, I think that's super important. Dude, I would, I think I, I, or no, I, was, I think it was sausage fat. I think I literally downloaded just for like a fucking like Instagram story. And like, now I like actually use it. So it's like, yeah. it's funny, dude. Like, like it's just it's dank. Though. It's dank, yeah. like, but I just it like, is. I don't know. I just like, or maybe it was endless smiles. One of them, but, um, but like, yeah, it's just funny, like experimenting and like finding new shit, whether it's for actual use yeah. or, <laughs> um, another plugin that we actually use that's really helpful, especially for mixing is bass room. Uh, it's really, really oh, yeah. fucking nice for, um, yeah. For, do you use bass room or do you know it? I don't have it, but it's from the mastering the mix guys. Yeah. And other plugins are really good that I've tested so far. Yeah. It's, Obviously been using a lot of Soothe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've used that before, that plugin. I just missed the the uh, Easter sale, and I'm so oh, mad at myself for no. it. <laughs> but no, I've heard, I mean, so many people on this podcast talk about it as like the closest thing to a Swiss Army Knife plugin from the past year. What do, you, awesome. uh, what do you use for your side chain? Because there's everybody, everybody has a different technique now, I feel like. Um, most of the time I just use Kickstart because I'm lazy yeah. as hell, but otherwise using the like Live 8 compressor, um, yeah, yeah. for some reason, I don't know if you know about that, but, um, the live eight compressor is just a little bit cleaner with side chain than the live nine and 10 one. It's oh, weird. Really? I don't know why I've heard that before. Yeah. A lot of times the like newer compressors in live will get that click when you're trying to side chain, especially when the attacks too quick or the yeah. release is too quick. So for some reason, like the algorithm that they have in the live eight compressor is way better. If you just Google it, a bunch of people have it where you can like download it and save it in, um, you know, newer versions of live. We've we've been doing some volume automation too for yeah. side chain, yeah. just like and, manually uh, getting in there. And uh, um, we were talking about the click LFO tool is nice too because the LFO tool you can get rid of the click too. I've been using that too with um, like MIDI triggers too. You can use oh, LFO yeah. tool, so anytime yeah. you don't have to worry about having like the you know a ghost trigger as long as you get the MIDI for it. Like uh-huh. I've seen people like duck. Um, like use it on their reverbs where it ducks it from the main oh, synth nice. if it's like a pluck or something. You can get way creative and it's it. pretty easy to set up. Exactly. Yeah. We uh yeah we I don't know I, I'm trying to think of other pl- oh trash we've been using trash a lot especially for our mm-hmm. bases just to kind of like I think it's a really trash uh, by Isotope for anybody that's wondering. Um, I think that's a it's a good creative tool because you know you'll get a lot of these serum sounds that maybe might sound a little bit you know like serum. But we've just been throwing them in trash and just getting completely new textures. And uh, it's just kind of helped up our sound design game. I think that's a huge mindset, too. Like, even if a thing sounds good out of Serum, it's probably a preset that other people have. So think to yourself, what can I do to get more creative with this and just make it sound a little bit different? Trashing it. (laughs) Isotope Vinyl is kind of nice, too, for atmospheres. I think we were talking about atmospheres a little bit earlier. But, like, when you... If you bounce out um, a track or whatever, and you want to add some like for like intros or outros or whatever, if you want to add some yeah. like some vinyl or like they have like a, an electricity one, there's a bunch of different cool little settings that you can add yeah. for beef up your intros. 
Cool. So kind of sliding things away from production, obviously things are a bit tricky right now. It's kind of towards the end of April when we're recording this. So outside of music, what are you two doing for fun just to kind of maintain inspiration to be creating right now? Okay. A lot of gaming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is Nico talking. Big, big Warzone guy. Uh, yeah. Playing a lot of COD Warzone. Um, moved away from Apex Legends and Fortnite and just been kind of focusing on that. I know uh, Sway's been playing a lot of yeah. 2K. I've, I've been building this like, you know, like for anybody who plays 2K out there, I've been doing the My Career mode where you literally play like yeah. a, a full season building your guy. So I've had, have a, had a lot of time. I think I'm like 60 games in. Gotta, <laughs> when I get to the playoffs, I got to do a live stream or something, me taking home the ship. <laughs> I'm trying to get rookie of the year. I'm number two right now. But yeah, so yeah. We're, we're also by the beach, so... You know, just a lot of uh, sun soaking, been able to get in the water. We're, we're fortunate. Uh, the beach down by our house is not crowded whatsoever, and it's actually open. So we've been able to do some swimming, yeah. surfing. Before, I don't know. We're, we're entertaining ourselves. Yeah, we're, we're making best out of a, out of a tough situation. Um, I yeah. think that's like going, like when we were talking about social media, like, and like adapting, that's like honestly what we've gotten so into TikTok lately, just because it's like number one, it's entertaining for us, but it's also like we found it's entertaining for other people too, like some of the videos yeah. we've been making. So it's always fun to it's always fun to brighten other people's days while having a little bit of fun ourselves. Yeah. So totally. Cool. So we've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. What advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out with production to give them the best chance moving forward? Let's see. Honestly, like Number one, just don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to uh, don't be afraid to to send other people your stuff and like really like you know show other people because I think for a while, at least me personally, and I, I think for Nick too, a lot of mm-hmm. for a while, it just took us like uh, building up the confidence to like show other people or ask for help for certain in certain things or you know or ask yeah. for ask for feedback on on a mix or a demo. So just never be afraid and finding the right person to send it exactly. to because a lot of people Very say, true. "Oh, that's sick." <laughs> yeah, like, and honestly, that's the thing too is like we're talking about trial and error. Part of the trial and error is finding like which which like music friends are are like the are ideal you know or like you honestly like, kind of want to get shit on because yeah they're, yeah. they're honest about it and, and it help, make you a better producer yeah and it helps you like it'll it actually will build your confidence like believe, like believe it or not like people pointing out your flaws or like people pointing out like what you could do better will actually help you and build, help you build your confidence because you're like fuck like i just asked them like what's the worst that could possibly happen is they're gonna give me some feedback or tell me it sucks you know like yeah that's that's and that's what i want like <laughs> other i guess other things to improve production like we said it earlier but youtube yeah um there's people uh that are you know teaching sound design people are dissecting people's tracks recreating them i know you can download some of those project files i know in the past we've gone in download some yeah uh, project file remakes and you know dissected them and you know learn oh this is how they're side chaining this is how yeah. they're getting that bass sound this is how they're gating the reverb you know like just like little little things like that uh has been super helpful uh, that we've learned from the YouTube community. Um, Reddit is also a really good uh, source of information. I know a lot of artists do these Reddit AMAs where they'll talk a lot about their production. You also can download a lot of stuff off Reddit, like whether it's um, like sample packs, sample packs, but also like chains too. like everybody used to have like the virtual riot, like fat rack (laughs) that made all your (laughs) shit way bigger. But like that actually helps though. Like to go download that and like see how he see how he processes his sounds. Like that actually helps, you know. I'd say yeah, research yeah. researching on the internet like that helps a lot. But also, you just got to put in the hours and experiment because mm-hmm. 
I feel like a lot of music is trial and error. Um, yes. And especially too, cause it's like music production isn't really, it's not really a thing like where like, like think about like, uh, like guitar lessons or piano lessons, like, like, you know, yeah. like a lot, yeah, people do go to school for music. A lot of people do go to music production schools, but a lot of people don't have like a teacher come over and uh, where they, you know, people for piano lessons, they have someone come over and teach them, but for there's pro- no right or wrong way to yeah, do things. But for production, a yeah. lot of, a lot of times it's, it's you like laying in your bed or like you on your own, you know, and just you're, you're learning you're learning just from experimenting and pushing buttons and figuring out what does what and i mean honestly at first like that's like that's kind of how i taught myself was just by trial and error and like literally like you like when i first downloaded ableton i remember like clicking each button like oh what does this do like oh okay like what does it do if i do this and this you know and like that that's the biggest thing though and honestly um for it might sound a little obvious but just like being comfortable and knowing like your daw and like knowing everything every little function, all the shortcuts, uh, that helps a lot for, um, for, for workflow. Yeah. And for just speeding things up, especially if, if you go to work in like a session, like, I don't know if if people here are, are like producing for like, not necessarily for their own project, but like, are get called into a session. Like you definitely, people want producers to work fast and efficiently, you know? So that's when like shortcuts and all that really comes into play and really knowing your DAW inside and out. Sweet. So one last question. What's going to be coming up for you guys in the next few months? A lot, a lot, a lot of new music. And honestly, we're so stoked because like we've literally some of these tracks like that we've been making over the past eight months, six months have really been the best music we've ever made. And we feel like we have some songs that are going to make an impact, hopefully at the international level. Yeah, we're just we're excited to, you know, reach a bigger audience with these tracks and like we're talking about our goals, Mark and I's goals. And like, we just really want to connect people that vibe with our music. Yeah. I think that's super crucial. So we're just ready to see people's reactions. And, and we've been, uh, we've been having this, this week, actually, we've been scheduling some tracks uh, for release, like on one on, on one of our dream labels. So it's been really cool to, to, to say, oh shit, I don't know yet, but it's a sick label though. If you follow us, you'll, you'll, you'll hear more info about it soon, but you've probably heard the track. We've been playing it in our live streams. We've played it at shows before, but it's going to come out later this year on a label of one of our favorite artists and one of our dream labels. So that's pretty cool for us and definitely a big milestone. Awesome. Sweet. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can find Nico and Sway's music in the description of this episode. So go give it a listen as this podcast is just about over. Guys, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate being on the show. Uh, we're humbled that uh, we're able to talk to you. So we appreciate yeah. it. Shout out to EDM Broad. Thank you guys so much for having us. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Con Man. Yeah, peace. <laughs>